Today on Blue 58, the Packers have taken care of their best defensive back, signing Jair Alexander to a four-year extension. We'll break down the details and talk about another move the Packers made in the secondary. Then it'll be time to restart our review of the 2021 Packers season. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. A couple announcements, housekeeping details before we get started today. We need to issue a correction. Last episode, I said that Sammy Watkins was on the wrong side of 30. He's not. He's actually slightly younger than Devontae Adams, thanks to the Twitter user whose name escapes me and I was not able to find back again. Uh, for the correction there. He is not on the wrong side of 30. He's on the right side of 30, which of course means that I am on the wrong side of 30. Can't win them all. Um, A reminder as well, buy your copy of the games that changed the game if you are interested in participating in our Blue 58 book club. My intention as of right now is to start our discussion of that the first week of June. So not this week, not next week, the week after that. If my math checks out, that should be should put us into the first week of June, or we'll, we'll start early in June. The first episode that falls in June, we will talk about the games that changed the game. Sound good? Good. Packers made a move, signing Jair Alexander to a four-year, $84 million extension. Of note, because it is a four-year extension, not a brand-new four-year contract. That means it is on top of his existing deal, as I understand it. That also means that the cap hit of his signing bonus is spread over five years, not four. This overall, I think, is excellent for the Packers, and it's excellent for Jair Alexander because he's going to probably get another shot at a decent contract before he turns 30. At the very least, he'll be 30 years old when he gets to hit the market again. It also lowers his base salary to for this year to just over a million dollars. And with the bonus being spread over five years, that means his cap hit is going to be around $7 million for this year. All in all, about half what it would have been otherwise had he played on his fifth-year option. Wins again across the board. As far as impact, obviously this is a good thing. The Packers get a good player, and they get to lower his cost on the salary cap. The player, Jair Alexander, gets money and has a chance to get more money later. Again, the deal is going to send him back towards free agency about the time he's 30 years old. That's old for a corner, but if he's still playing at a high level, there's a good chance that he's still going to be able to to get a pretty significant contract at that point. Five years is a heck of a long time in the NFL, but that's pretty good business for Jair Alexander. If, If you're going to cash in, getting the money soon so you can get more money later is never a bad idea. Now, as to the meta conversation around this, and I want to be careful about this because I don't think it's hugely important, but I've seen a fair bit of discussion online as to whether or not the Packers chose Jair Alexander over Devontae Adams. Well, yes and no. In one sense, I suppose that they did, in that they chose to re-sign Jair Alexander and chose not to play hardball with Devontae Adams, who wanted to get out of town anyway. But even assuming that Devontae Adams wanted to stay, we'll talk about that in a second, what the Packers did here was choose a 25-year-old cornerback over a 29-year-old wide receiver. And I ask you, whose production do you think you can replace easier? An elite receiver or an elite cornerback? You can do wide receiver by committee, or at the very least, you can get a couple decent wide receivers and mimic at least the impact of a pretty good wide receiver. Now, it's never going to be one-to-one, but I don't think you can do quite the same thing with a corner. 
an elite cornerback can erase one side of the field. You can't really duplicate that sort of things just by playing multiple guys in that spot because you're weakening somewhere else on your defense. It's not, it's just not the same thing. It's not a comparable thing to compare the impact of a cornerback to a, to a wide receiver. I'm not saying Jair Alexander is more impactful than Devontae Adams or even the other way, but even if you take it at its absolute base level that the Packers did choose Alexander over Adams, you could see why they would want to do that. But in a completely different sense, this makes no sense at all. The Packers choosing Jair Alexander, who they were probably going to re-sign anyway, more than likely, really ultimately had nothing to do with Devontae Adams at all. For one, Devontae Adams wanted to leave anyway. And for another, Adams leaving gave the Packers flexibility to do other things. Why not say something instead like the Packers chose Devondre Campbell and Rasul Douglas and Sammy Watkins over Devontae Adams? Well, the easy answer there is that it's not a it's not a dunk. You can't say, wow, they're choosing this guy over the best receiver in the NFL. It's it's not the same. They chose to build up other parts of their roster rather than just spend a whole bunch of money on two guys. Two guys that they did want to keep, by the way. They wanted to keep Devontae Adams. They wanted to spend and keep that keep him on the roster. They offered him more than the Raiders did. He just didn't want to be in Green Bay anymore for whatever reason, and that's a conversation I really don't want to get into either because we're never really going to know the the entire story there, what what his motivations were at every level, and it, it ultimately makes no difference either. He didn't want to be there, and there was nothing the Packers could do to change his mind, and so he left. And the Packers still have a, a really good roster without him there. But the point is that comparing one, saying this happened so that this couldn't happen is not always accurate. It might be that thing A happened and that prevented B, C, and D from happening, or A didn't happen and B, C, and D could happen. Devondre Campbell, Rasul Douglas, Sammy Watkins, so on and so forth. The cap, I should say, is real. I mean, there there are real considerations teams have to make as a result of the cap. It's not as impactful as some people would have you think. Teams are rarely prevented from doing what they want to do because of the salary cap. Even the moves the Packers did make this offseason are really not, I would say, because of the salary cap. It's just they decided they wanted to go in a different direction and thought they could replace certain things and certain guys and you know, fill in the, the, the roster other ways. But just saying Devontae Adams was going to make X amount of money and now player now Jair Alexander has signed for X amount of money. That doesn't mean that that was the one-to-one conversation because I think it's pretty clear that the Packers wanted both. And there's a whole bunch of other factors that go into it. A whole bunch of other players that have moves that are affected by this. I guess overall, I just get a little bit of t- a little tired with the the need to say that every transaction has a winner and a loser. That oh, Devontae Adams lost, or the Packers lost out on Devontae Adams, so they paid Jair Alexander, or they chose Jair Alexander and kicked Devontae Adams to the curb, because that's not really what happened. And sometimes transactions just have nothing to do with each other. They're made independently. I think, by and large, that's probably how the Packers approach it. Do we want to keep player X? Yes or no? And then the cap is secondary to that. I think that's probably, I mean, if you look at a guy like Billy Turner, that's probably a pretty good example of what happened. Do we really want to keep Billy Turner? Yeah, maybe. 
do we really want to keep Billy Turner at this number? Maybe not. So ultimately it just comes down to, well, what's the number and do we want to keep Billy Turner? The do we want to keep Billy Turner conversation is the important one. And as the Packers showed, they feel they can replace him with rookies, essentially, because that's what it's going to be. They haven't signed a, a right tackle that's going to to fill what Billy Turner was. They're going to have, you know, one of these, there are three rookie draft picks from this year, one of the guys from last year, bump out to right tackle, Elton Jenkins. They feel like they can replace that player. So they didn't even really get into the cap stuff because they could have done a restructure there. They, they could have, you know, gone a whole bunch of different directions. The point is, we don't need to have winners and losers. We don't need to say this happened so that this could happen or this didn't happen, now this can happen, or they chose this player over that player. Because most of the time, I don't think that's what's actually happening. And there's a whole bunch of other impacts that happen as a result of certain moves. Elsewhere in the secondary, the Packers are switching Rico Gafford from wide receiver to cornerback. Now, he's a player we haven't really talked about all that much. But what he is is a phenomenal athlete. Technically, he was a corner in college. Not even technically, he just was. And then early in his NFL career, he played corner two before the Raiders switched him to wide receiver. Now, again, the story on Gafford is that he is very fast, very fast even by the standard of other professional athletes. He ran a 4-2, 240-yard dash at his pro day at Wyoming back in the day, three years ago now, four years ago now. And he did play some special teams under Rich Bisaccia in Oakland and Las Vegas. When it comes to the player himself, I have very limited Rico Gafford takes. But I think if you want a take on this situation, it ties into something we've talked about at a fair bit of length before. Matt LaFleur and, I guess by extension, Rich Bisaccia, or perhaps in reverse, have talked about wanting exclusive special teamers. And there's a bunch of guys that kind of fit that description on the roster right now. Kaishan Nixon, Rico Gafford, for two guys that have played in connection with Bisaccia with the Raiders. Ty Summers, Isaiah McDuffie, Tariq Campbell, Samari Touré. I think we're seeing an increasing amount of guys who are going to be exclusively or primarily special teams guys. The Packers are trying to build up a core of guys who can play special teams exclusively, be devoted to playing special teams exclusively. It's an important thing, and the Packers have neglected that kind of approach for a while. Sure, there's been sort of token guys that are primarily special teamers. Summers and McDuffie are an example of that from from just last year. But I think they want to head in that direction a little bit more. And I think uh, Gafford is going to be in the conversation to play some of those roles on special teams. Before we dive into our 2021 recap, I want to take a second and shout out a couple Patreon supporters. Ian Plum, Luke Holm, and Drew, no last name given, all get the nod today. Thank you, each of you, for your continued support of The Power Sweep. If you would like to become a supporter of The Power Sweep, head to patreon.com slash thepowersweep and uh, chip in whatever amount you feel is appropriate on a monthly basis there. We appreciate it a whole lot, and it helps to keep the lights on here. And it helps you support my main mission with uh, with Blue 58 is to, and to, to make sure that we never have to run ads on this show. I'm committed to that now and forever. But that means that we have to find other ways to support the show because there's a lot that goes into this behind the scenes and upgrading equipment and hosting the show on a, on a podcast platform and things like that. We need your help to do that. And... Um, we could run ads. We choose not to because I think it uh, takes away from the listener experience. But you help us get around that uh, by your continued support of everything that we do here. I appreciate it a whole lot, and I'd appreciate it even more if you'd consider jumping on that bandwagon. And like we said uh, in the last couple episodes, 
That's going to be a great way to participate in our Blue 58 book club, which is coming up soon. We will discuss it on the podcast, but it makes it hard to be interactive if we're just talking back and forth uh, through the podcast itself, because I really can't hear your side of the conversation if you're just talking as you're listening. So uh, join us on Discord. That's one of the benefits you get with becoming a Patreon supporter, as well as some bonus content and helping us continue our mission of not having any ads on the show. Sound good? Good. Time to resume our recap of the 2021 season. We put this on hold after week three because uh, we wanted to get to the NFL draft content a little bit sooner. And I'm glad we did because that meant we didn't have to rush through NFL draft stuff as much. But now we're going to resume what we were doing in terms of looking back on every game and asking a few questions about every game that we take a look at. What happened? When was the game decided? What was the long-term impact of that game? And what things from that game may we have forgotten? May have we forgotten? Have we maybe forgotten? So, week four, the Packers take on the Steelers at Lambeau Field. What happened in this game? I think this, in a way, is a bit of a throwback Packers game to, like, McCarthy-era Packers stuff. Kind of just get up early and then more or less coast throughout the rest of the game. Steelers opened the scoring with a 45-yard touchdown to Deontay Johnson, beating Jair Alexander, one of the few negative plays he had in the limited time he played in 2021. More on that in a second. But then the Packers scored 17 points in the second quarter and 10 more in in the third. Overall, five straight scoring drives, not too bad. Aaron Rodgers runs one in. He throws two more touchdowns to Randall Cobb, a couple field goals in there as well. But from there, the Packers just kind of messed around and then ran out the last quarter and a half. Their final five drives went fumble, punt, turnover on downs, punt, end of game. Not really like pedal to the metal ending there, though they were trying with the turnover on downs deep in in Steelers territory. Just couldn't put the Steelers away, and the Steelers kind of lingered till fairly late in the game. They never really offered a serious threat to rally or take the lead or anything like that, but they did hang around there until close to the, the bitter end there. I would say this game was decided when Randall's, Randall Cobb's second touchdown put the Packers up 27-10. to 10. There was a lot at that point for the Steelers to overcome. They really couldn't move the ball all that well. You really, I think, in this game saw why Ben Roethlisberger retired. He could make veteran brain plays, but the body just was not there. Long-term impact. Jair Alexander hurt his shoulder in this game and was not active again until the playoffs. On the plus side of things, that gave the Packers a lot more reps to give to Eric Stokes, which I think is going to be helpful in this season. But on the negative side, well, kind of everything else. They had to make some some tough moves to to figure out what they were going to do, especially as Kevin King was a little bit beat up by this point. I know you've, that is a big shock. Um, ultimately, it led to Rasul Douglas, but it really hurt the Packers at some points this year. In terms of things we've forgotten from this game, Eric Stokes, pretty solid to this point in the season, but he missed a pick six in this one on a throw to the left side of the field, just a little bit slow breaking on the ball. And I think this is a game where you saw some of his ball skills still need a a little bit of work. Um, This, incidentally, too, is probably the last time the Packers are going to end up playing against Ben Roethlisberger. And related to that, this was the Packers' only regular season win against Ben Roethlisberger in five tries. They obviously got him in the Super Bowl, uh, but they have never beaten him prior to this point in the regular season. Kingsley Kiki had a sack and a fumble in this game, and the Packers' Super Bowl 31 team was in the house at Lambeau Field uh, for the Packers' win over the Steelers. Week 5. 
The Packers travel to Cincinnati and end up having a wild time of it. This was the game where nobody really wanted to make a field goal until the Packers finally did. Kind of a sloppy game all around. The story of this one is probably the Packers' defense. They bailed the Packers' offense out, and he also kept Cincinnati in the game a little bit. They did only allow scores on three of 12 drives, but one of them was a big 70-yard touchdown to Jamar Chase, which was itself the result of a weird defensive communications error. The Packers' defense ended up doing something incorrect as the result of a Bengals audible, which the Packers said after the game was identical to a call that they have in their suite of audibles for the defense. So the Bengals yelled out some word, some term, whatever. The Packers thought it was somebody on their side yelling it out and ended up making an adjustment, ended up with a bad situation for Darnell Savage on the back end. And well, the Bengals score a big touchdown. But on the other hand, Devondre Campbell did have an interception in overtime. It should have ended the game. It didn't, but uh, they really tried. The game was decided, I would say, not on the last play, as you might expect from a, you know, game that featured a game-winning field goal, but on the second to last play. On that play, Randall Cobb caught a third and 16 pass to put the Packers in field goal range. He went for 16 yards on third and 16. It was initially ruled the first down, but was overruled, but it did give the Packers a chance at a much closer, well, really a field goal at all, because other than, uh, well, it would have been a titanic effort for Mason Crosby to hit it from much further away than that, especially considering that he had missed a whole ton of field goals to that point. Uh, three straight and a and a PAT missing um, in the in that game. Crosby, rough game at the office, rough day at the office there. I think this game, to talk about the larger impact, was the start of the special teams is bad storyline. This is where things really came apart. And if you're going to talk about special teams, I don't know. <laughs> this is where it would this is where it would begin. I don't know how you have a much more eye-catching game as far as special teams goes than this one, though the Packers would certainly try over the remainder of the season, including right up there until the bitter end uh, against the San Francisco 49ers. In this one, there's not a whole lot that I I don't think hasn't been fairly well covered, but A.J. Dillon did score his first career receiving touchdown in this one, would score another one later in the year, but this was the first one of his career. In week six, the Packers travel to Chicago to take on the Bears. Packers end up winning. The score is not super important because this is what I would describe as a big brother game. Your little brother might try and try and try, but it's not going to matter because you're just bigger and stronger and faster. And it really didn't matter how well the Packers played in this one because they just had the horses that the, the Bears did not. Aaron Rodgers, a good but not great 17 of 23 passing for 195 yards and two touchdowns. Another rushing touchdown in this one, too. Aaron Jones, a perfectly fine 13 carries, 76 yards. A.J. Dillon, 11 for 59. Devontae Adams, four catches, 89 yards, one touchdown. Ho-hum. The defense really shut down um, rookie quarterback Justin Fields in this one. Just two touchdowns for the Bears in 10 drives. Two ADR drives, to be fair resulted in touchdowns for the Bears. But other than that, boy, rough day for the Bears. Here's how drives two through five went for the Bears. Basically, the the middle portion of the game where the game was decided, end of the first quarter through all the way through the second quarter, goes something like this. Interception, three plays for negative three yards and a punt. Nine plays for 20 yards and a punt. Four plays for 19 yards and a punt. Eight plays for 35 yards and a punt. And during that stretch, the Packers were putting up a whole bunch of points. Not a whole bunch, but enough. 
the Packers, while the Bears were just kind of messing around there, not going anywhere and getting there pretty quickly, uh, the Packers handled their business. Four drives uh, near the middle of the game. Put the game away for the Packers. Drives three through six. Touchdown, field goal, and kneel downs, end of half, so that one really doesn't count anyway. And then another touchdown. That's a good way to put a game away. Just keep scoring and scoring and scoring and piling up points quickly really shifts the game in your favor. As far as long-term impact from this game, I really don't think there is one or much. But after this game, the Packers were 5-1 and one and were already 2-0 and oh in the NFC North. And that's a pretty darn good spot to be in after six weeks. In this game, you may have forgotten that Rasul Douglas made his debut, but he did not start. Isaac Yadam gets the start for the Bear or for the Packers, and that was one of the drives and one of the reasons uh, that the, the Bears got on the board. Uh, drove right down the field going after Isaac Yadam. Rasul Douglas comes in, and the rest, as they say, is history. Douglas takes over, is a starter for the rest of the season for the Packers, and gets himself a pretty handsome contract in the offseason as a result. Also in this game, Corey Bajorquez ripped an 82-yard punt, went for a touchback, but still 82 yards, nothing to sneeze at. That's weeks three through six. We get to a meaty portion of the Packers' schedule next time on Blue 58. For right now, that's all I've got for you on this podcast. If you enjoyed this show, I would encourage you to share it with someone you think would enjoy it as well. It's going to help more people find the show. It's going to get more people involved in the conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.